0: Okay, I'm just having welcome. Wow, loads of people. Okay, so so this year is called um, Journey to the Selfless Self. It's a series of classes that I created a couple of years back, and um, it's really, to be honest, it's basically Tanya kind of with everything extracted from it, taken out of all of the complicated mystical language and just kind of presented in a very 2020, I mean, I did it in 2021, but I suppose it's kind of up-to-date still in a very 2023 kind of way that will hopefully be very, um, it's going to be very deep. It's going to be challenging. We're going to have to look into ourselves quite deeply and ask some questions um, and hopefully very practical. It's going to help us in in our relationship with ourselves, as well as in our relationship with others, and with our relationship with Hashem. It's really all the same thing. Okay. Um, anybody know anyone's had any experience with Tanya Bichler? Anyone knows anything about the Safer whatsoever? People could, Very little. Okay, this is kind of, it's going to be kind of interactive, so you can keep depending on the noise in the background. But I'm going to be asking for everybody to to give their two cents as well. So um, you don't have to have your cameras on; that's fine. But if you want, that's great. And uh, but just be prepared to, uh, to to contribute. Okay, so there's everyone's after inspiration, yeah. Everybody wants to be inspired in their Yiddish kite. So this isn't about inspiration. This is a much higher thing we're aiming for because as everybody knows inspiration as quickly as it comes it basically just goes again so you can be sitting in a in an inspiring sheer feel very inspired maybe even get home and for the next hour also feel inspired but then definitely by the next morning it's you know so there's a deeper level of inspiration or not inspiration there's a deeper level of chizuk which is called yidiya understanding things really clearly so we use this usually in a very negative way so like for example when we start going in on a on a very down like negative kind of uh thinking path on ourselves the deeper in we go and the more we think about how useless we are and how all the, the all the horrible thoughts we think about ourselves yeah the deeper we go into these ideas the more kind of hopeless life feels the more the more it just keeps getting worse and worse yeah that's the idea on the bad side of knowing something deeply you don't really know it but you're thinking into it you're meditating on it and it's just going down and down and the the more you the more you Um, prove how useless you are the more useless you feel and then that makes more useless thoughts and and it just goes down and down so what our goal is is to go the opposite way and to start replacing these thoughts with understanding deep understandings that are that are very enlightening that will help us keep going up and up and up so it's the difference really between a vegetable and a tree So with the vegetable, I mean, not a farmer, but from what I know about vegetables, is that when you plant a carrot, for example, um, the carrot grows, you take out the carrot, you eat it, and then you have to plant a new carrot. Okay, that's comparable to inspiration. As long as that inspiring rabbi is around, or as long as that inspiring friend is around, or as long as that, you know, nice song is on the radio, Then you're feeling up. The minute it goes away, then you're back down again. So that's exactly like a vegetable. The other option is like a tree. A tree keeps putting out fruits, keeps putting out fruits. It never stops giving fruits. So that's exactly the that's exactly the um, the idea that we're trying to that. That's where we're going with this is to get ideas, some, some very clear foundational ideas that will act as a tree inside us that will constantly be giving us that that chizuk that we need in our void of hashem okay so I'm, i don't know where people are holding so i'm gonna i'm gonna speak how i usually speak if there's any hebrew words or whatever that i use that people don't know please don't just not say anything please catch me and i'll translate because i really don't know where people are holding with the words so okay so what I'm really giving over, like I said, I'm trying to give over the Tanya in this really distilled, approachable kind of way, and give over all these exceptional, enlightened ideas, um, that that in a very relevant and 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 I suppose I hope understandable way. Uh, what the Tanya is standing on one leg is a very very small book. In fact, it's so small I carry it in my pocket. That's basically it. Yeah. Um, that the Alter Rebbe of Lubavitch or Shneur Zalman of Ladi, he um, he wrote it down, so to speak. Um, the wisdom in this book is just—I mean, I've spent thousands of hours learning this book, and it's it's mind-boggling. The more I, the more time I spend on it, the more it's it's uh it becomes like impossible in my mind that it got written by a human being i really mean that i'm not just saying that like in a kind of poetic way it's just it that it's so holographic it's so applicable it's so profound it's so relevant it, everything everything so um what's very important to remember though is that there was a there was a very uh very um consistent chain from the Alter Rebbe down through until like the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe and then there was a rabbi called Rav Khan who taught my Rebbe call, who's called Rav Manis Friedman Probably some of you I'm sure know of him and that's where I learned all of this from, Rav Manis Friedman so we actually have a chain because once we get back to the uh, the Alter Rebbe then he was a, a student of the Magad of Meserich who was a student of the Baal Shem Tov and as the legend goes, the Baal Shemtov. Anyone knows who the Baal Shem Toz Rebbe was? So the legend goes that the Baal Shem Toz Rebbe was a man called Achia Shaloni. He was the he was the the prophet in the time of Shmuel and David and Elio. So work out how that. I don't know how that works out if it was on an Ashama level or something. But it was about twenty eight hundred years before. The Baal Shem Tov. But Achir Shaloni was a very exceptional character in Nach because it said that he lived for many years. I I worked it out one time. It had to be that he lived for about between six and 900 years or something like that. Um, And he was of the, the Rambam says, he was of the Yotze Mitzrayim. He left Egypt and it says that he listened to Moshe Rabbeinu. He heard Moshe Rabbeinu. And he went all the way through till the destruction of the base of Migdash. So if you think about what we say in Dayenu, when we sing on, on Pesach night Dayenu, is the it begins, the song begins with, he took us out of Egypt, and it ends with the building of the base the of Migdash. So Achia Shaloni was the one man, because he lived so long, that saw that whole, the whole process of dayanu He saw the whole thing. So basically... By saying that the Baal Shem Tov learned from him, what we're really doing, and this is very important, is we're kind of like, you know, the elevators in Manhattan that skip like from the 30th floor to like the 70th floor? That's really what we're doing with what we're learning when we learn the Tanya. We're actually skipping back from the Baal Shem Tov through to Achir Shaloni, who heard words from Moshe Rabbeinu, who heard the words from Hashem himself. And that's called Torah Shabelpe. And that's really it's, it sounds very like you know mystical and cool, but it really is exactly how that works. That means that there's the the information carries the reboyne Lim himself, and it's coming straight down through these words, these words become like kalim vessels that contain meaning, just like when you talk to somebody, you're contained in the words, your feelings, your emotions. Things that you understand are contained within the words. In the Torah, contained within the words, if they're given over with, with a pure heart, is Hashem himself, believe it or not, more even in the concepts. So these concepts that we're going to be learning actually contain the reboinish loilem. We'll, we'll get clear on that as well have to show what that really means. Okay, so we're going to discuss the the on the agenda over the next few weeks if this if people want to carry on coming we're going to answer a bunch of questions okay the first most important question that this class is dedicated to is getting uh an understanding of what it means good and evil then we're going to understand what a human being is we're going to understand Hashem, what a Jew is we're going to understand what it means when we say Hashem is one we're going to understand what is Torah and Mitzvahs we're going to understand what is free will Messias Nefesh, self-sacrifice, and tshuva. And we're going to try and work out also the purpose of creation. So these are big, important questions that, that are not simple questions, um, but um, they're questions that can be understood by us, as HaShem, and we will understand them, as HaShem. Um, just before we begin, I want to, this is quite an important point. It'll take a few minutes to explain. The, the concept of a moshal, everyone knows what a moshal is? Yeah? So a moshal, in English an analogy, is a, a means by which we convey an idea that's maybe unrelatable or too big to somebody else who's, so so somebody else can relate to it and understand it. But there's two ways that moshalim go in the Torah. There's mashalim that we learn from Hashem to us, and then there's mashalim that we learn from us to Hashem, and it's important to get the to get the the direction correct. So, for example, um, there's this profound cosmic truth or cosmic system that Hashem used to create creation. There's two ways of giving to something. There's what's called giving on a level of face-to-face and giving on a level called back-to-back so what does that mean so giving on a level of face-to-face is when the other person is an end unto themselves so when we're relating to our children we don't want anything well hopefully we don't want anything from our children it's about them Every interaction we should have with our children should be about them. I know we're not perfect, so it's not always, but that's what it should be. Yeah, that's called a face-to-face relationship. A back-to-back relationship means it's not about the other person. Really, it's about me. So a great example of a back-to-back relationship would be the relationship you have with a cab driver. Okay, he doesn't care about you. He just cares. I'm going to be, you know, maybe he's a nice guy. But Lemaisa, he doesn't care about you. He cares about your money. And you don't care about him. You care about getting to where you need to get to. That's called a back to back relationship. So there's two kinds of creations. There's creations that Hashem made face to face, that they are an end unto themselves. That's why he made creation. And then there's creations that he made. He didn't really want to make them. But he made them as a means to an end. So the whole concept of Ra, of evil, he doesn't want evil for itself. He wants evil so that we can have the ability to choose good. Because if we didn't have evil, if there was no kind of evil in the world, then there would be no ability to choose Tov. So us choosing Tov, that's an end unto itself. But his relationship to evil is a back-to-back relationship. It's a kind of transactional relationship. And this is what, the point now is what I want to bring up. So this is, everyone hears this is like a big cosmic way. If you read, if you learn in Kabbalah, it's all talking about face-to-face and back-to-back and there's also back-to-front and front-to-back and there's all these, and it's very complicated and esoteric and mystical and et cetera. But one of the things that we learn is that when somebody's in a back-to-back relationship with someone, well, you're only in the cab for a minute, so it doesn't really matter. But if you're in a relationship with someone and they become a means to an end, then let me say it backwards. The the way it works with the Shem in this world, the reason why Ra is getting more Ra is because his relationship to Ra is a back-to-back relationship. And that back to back relationship causes a rebellion from the one who's receiving. Because he's not receiving from your inner essence. He's receiving from an external part of you. And he senses that on a subconscious level, whatever it is. And the evil starts to rebel and gets worse and worse. Now, that's the cosmic reality. Bringing that down into our life. If we're treating our children, if we're with our children on a back-to-back basis, that will cause a rebellion from our children. Our children will want to make distance from us. If our children aren't an end unto themselves and we're treating them as a means to some kind of selfish end then what that will cause is them trying to create a distance from us so that's a very deep idea but that's just the idea of a moshal that exists on like a cosmic level that in our life is on a very very practical just very immediate and practical level okay and there's moshan that go the other way as well but we just wanted to start off by explaining that there's going to be, there's going to be, we're going to be learning from Moshe this way to this way. Like, for example, we hear that Hashem gets angry, yeah, over and over in the Chumash, it talks about Hashem getting angry. So, really, in our mind and mind, in our heart of hearts, we're thinking that's really ridiculous. How can he get angry? But when we understand that the Moshel of anger is going, his anger is true anger, and our anger is the petty anger. Now we've got something to work with. Now we can understand what anger actually is. But when we're thinking about our, our anger and we're putting it on him, we just think of him as this petty, irate old man. And we're like, what's, what, what's with you, God? Pull it together. But that's because we're going the wrong way. The same ideas with a hand. Yeah, we say that Hashem has an arm. And then we say, we have an arm. And then we say, no, he doesn't really have an arm. But the truth is, he really has an arm. This is just a representation of a real arm his arm isn't made of his arm doesn't have any physicality to it in any way but a real arm can split a sea and can destroy you know a, a nation our arm is just a is just a, a a representation of what a real arm actually is once you've got it straight then everything starts to make a lot of sense you'll see okay so the question is i want everyone to try and give me an answer to this is do we have a definition for good and evil? Toiv and Ra. <clears throat> can anyone think of uh can anyone think of a definition throughout a definition? Tov is following the Torah,
1: following Hashem. Okay. I don't know about and I guess Ra is not.
0: So, so there can only be Tov and Ra when there's the Torah. Mm,
1: Somebody who doesn't believe in God
0: can't be good. Tov
1: is a face-to-face relationship with something, and Ra is the back-to-back.
0: Well, wow, that's very deep. Um, okay, any other one? Anyone else want to throw out? Because it, it's interesting. Because I've asked this question to so many people. And the reaction's nearly all the same, and I see it by you guys as well, is usually, like, you know, people, their eyes kind of go, they're like, people, like, smile, and they're like, of course I can give you a definition for Tov and rat, good and evil. <laughs> and then after about a few seconds, their eyes, like, kind of go upwards, and they're like, hmm, um, actually, that's not so straightforward. And it's quite embarrassing. People actually get embarrassed by it. And I've asked big time of their, Hachamem as well, who actually also give me the same answer or they gear around and they don't like, it's amazing how people don't have a generally, don't people don't have an actual working definition of good and good and evil. So I'll just read, I typed into the chatbot GPT just now. Yeah. What is the definition? Yeah.
1: Could it be perceived good? What we perceive as good? Because I was originally going to say Ratzon Hashem, but Ra is also Ratzon Hashem.
0: So,
1: could Listen, it be what
0: we, we perceive? So, I mean, there's a lot of people who don't believe in God, Bichlo, who believe very much in the concept of good and evil. So when we plug it into when we plug it into Torah, that's nice, and it might even be true. But but everyone know everyone knows like what happened two weeks ago in Israel was raw. Everyone, there's no discussion there. You don't need one second whatever that is, okay, Um, you don't need, um, you don't need the Torah to tell you that what happened in Israel just now was Ra, so, so it has to be something more, to say foundational than Torah is not the right thing to say, but it has to be something more universal, like more kind of natural, like baked into the system, you with me? So listen to what the chatbot said, yeah, chatbot says, what is the definition of good and evil? It said, the definitions of good and evil are complex and can vary depending on one's philosophical, cultural, religious and ethical perspectives. Then it gave a whole bunch of different ways of understanding it that were very convoluted. And then it said at the end, "It's it's important to note that the definitions of good and evil can be highly subjective and context dependent. And there is often significant debate and diversity of opinion regarding what actions and behaviours fall into each category. Additionally, the definitions of good and evil can evolve over time as societies and cultures change and as our understandings of ethics and morality deepens. So you walk away from that and you're like, well, maybe there isn't such a thing as good and evil. I don't know what that I don't know what that means. He just basically said it's very complex and it varies depending on etc etc but i'm going to prove that that's not the case has anyone got a pen and paper can I just grab a scrap of paper and a pen okay and we're going to write down six names okay six personalities random personalities i'm going to give you a little like a just a a a 10 second definition of who that person is and you've heard of all these people anyway but I'm just gonna say, and we're gonna we're gonna order these names in good to evil. But first just write the names down. Okay. The first name is Robin Hood. Yeah, he was a mythical bandit who stole from the rich to give to the poor. Okay. Then we've got Ted Bundy, who was a convicted serial killer who raped and murdered hundreds maybe of women from from children from 12 years old to whatever. Yeah. Then we've got Mother Teresa, who there is a little bit of controversy about her. But I want to—I just want to focus on the fact that she was, she ran a uh, like um, a, a chain of hospices called uh, House of the Dying for people in India who were dying. And she just, she, you know, she had, she just sat with these people with no money and just helped as much as she possibly could. Then you have Adolf Hitler. Don't need to say anything about him. Much, I? Um, then we have um, Bill Gates. I wrote this a couple of years ago. I'd probably change that for somebody else. Bill Gates is still And then we have Bernie Madoff. Everyone knows who Bernie Madoff is. Yeah. So just to put it in perspective, Bernie Madoff stole, ended up stealing billions of dollars. There were, there were like hundreds, maybe thousands of people whose entire life savings, literally just like didn't exist one day. They'd been saving for years and years and years and then all of a sudden they had nothing. Okay, so we've got the, the list of these personalities. Yeah, We've got Robin Hood, Ted Bundy, Mother Teresa, Adolf Hitler, Bill Gates, Bernie Madoff. So can we take her just a moment out and I want everyone. I want us to write a list of these six people to order them from Tav to Ra. So number one is going to be the most Tav, and number six is going to be the most Ra. And we'll see an interesting thing. I think. Just give me a give me a thumbs up when you've done it. It's very cute. Got with these little thumbs going like that in it. Quite easy, yeah? People found that easy? Relatively easy, not so easy. Quite easy. What do you think the chances are that we're all gonna have the same order? Just right. you can just send a, send a message out of 10. 10 out of 10, everyone's going to have the same order. So just shoot a quick message. What do you think? Nine out of 10, 10 out of 10. Nine out of 10, nine out of 10, six out of 10, okay. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Eight, nine, see everybody, we just, I mean, the ch- everyone knows how cool the chatbot GPT is, yeah? Does everyone know how insanely unbelievable, amazing that thing is? No? It's much unbelievable. And he just couldn't, he just couldn't do it at all. He failed completely. What is good and evil? So if we've got such a vague definition of good and evil, saying that it's complex, it's dependent on philosophical, cultural, religious, and ethical perspectives, changes over time, etc. etc., cetera, et cetera, how comes? Nearly all of us, except for Mrs. Cohen, thought that basically we're all going to get the same, we're going to get the same order. Do you hear the question? Did it so vague, yet we're like, okay, so let's, let's see the order. Okay, so I'll tell you the order that I wrote down and see if you agree with me, okay? So number one, being the most good, I wrote Mother Teresa. Everyone put your hand up, thumb up, just give me a nod or something. Maybe better to see if somebody didn't. Okay, everybody put Mother Teresa. So number one, that's good. So we all got that right. Or maybe not right. right. The second one I wrote was Bill Gates. Yeah, everyone's nodding. Again, if you didn't write, it's probably better if you didn't write it to, to put a thumbs down. Okay. Then after that, I wrote Robin Hood. yeah then after that I wrote Bernie Madoff. yeah. oh no. who did you write, Mrs. Katz?
1: I wrote Bernie Madoff.
0: yeah, I said Bernie Madoff number four is Bernie Madoff All
1: right. Ted Bundy and then Bernie Madoff
0: you put you okay yeah then number five. Now, number five, I wrote okay. Ted Bundy. And obviously, because we're all Jewish, we're going to put Adolf Hitler Yamashimo as number, number six. So, did, is there anybody who didn't get that list? I'll just say it again. So, there's Mother Teresa, Bill Gates, Robin Hood, Bernie Madoff, Ted Bundy Yamashimo, Adolf Hitler Yamashimo. Everyone got the same. Did anyone get a different list? I Actually, could... I'm sorry. Go on, go for it.
1: I actually had Hitler a second, um, only because it's a conversation like I've had um, many you know times over. Again? Um say again. Only because I've had this conversation many times over.
0: I put Hitler a second. Um because and Bundy, I, and Bundy the last. Yes. Good. We'll discuss um, that. Okay. I I even agree with you, maybe. We'll talk about that. This is Hammy, what were you gonna say? I put for number 2 Robin Hood and number 3 Bill Gates. Okay, good. Me too. I had the same order. Yeah. You don't think like the fact of like stealing from like people is kind of like holding up a gunpoint even if you're going to give it to poor people is a little bit like not presider? My
1: thought process was the intentions were good versus Bill Gates where it's more neutral like he wasn't doing it to And inevitably it helped people, but Robin Hood was more of like a hero in my mind, but I could see how it could be switched both ways.
0: So, but isn't this interesting, don't we all think this is crazily interesting, how that no one can define what good and evil is, but we can take that list of people and basically nail it, everyone together. And we still probably can't articulate right now but, but as well to show we will but i've got a question for everybody okay everybody put mother Teresa first yeah and most of us nearly everyone put bill gates second but how comes because bill gates you know he basically eradicated malaria from africa single-handedly he helped like like hundreds of millions of people, literally, saved the lives of hundreds of millions of people, almost single-handedly. Mother Teresa, on the other hand, don't get me wrong, she probably helped, you know, thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands of people, but it was nothing like the level of of good that Bill Gates put into the world. But how comes everybody put Mother Teresa above Bill Gates without even a thought? Because she had the people...
1: They had, she had yeah. other people in mind more than herself it sounds like
0: wait so I'm not so you're saying because because mother Teresa had you but you, you're basically saying you don't really care about what happens it's about it's about the, the feeling yeah well ha, where it's coming from and so now let's let's discuss this idea of Ted Bundy and Adolf Hitler on the same on the same level. Because this, I think, if you're going to say that Mother Teresa is better than Bill Gates, even though Bill Gates saved hundreds of millions of people, and Mother Teresa maybe saved tens of thousands of people, let's say, yeah, then we've got a discussion open now with Ted Bundy and Adolf Hitler. It's horrible to even say these names. But we just discussed, It's not about. It's not about the actual actions. Yeah. So, like for example, we. I'm sorry to talk about these examples, but just to get this very clear, it's very important. Um. Well, let, let's. We'll get. We'll, go, we'll just say that in a minute. The, so, so basically, the way we've ordered it, and the way that everybody understands instinctually what is good and evil, is how we're going to now translate these words that are going to be foundational in in our entire avoidance hashem in everything that we do as a jew and as a human being is that our definition our working definition of good is selfless and our working definition of evil is selfish simple as that super simple and everyone knows it everyone knows it i'm surprised the chatbot didn't know it it's not cultural, it's not philosophical, it's not, it's not religious, everybody knows that selfish is evil and selfless is good. So now what about the outcome? So what about, just to to paint a horrible picture, is some Arab decides to drive his to drive his car into uh, into some Yidden in Eretz Yisrael. Okay, that's obviously evil. But what's, let's say now that this guy, he wasn't particularly competent, like most of them anyway, and as he tried to career off the road, something happened and his car hit something thing and it flipped over and he actually ended up killing a guy with a suicide bomb attached to him, who was on his way to commit some kind of crazy atrocity in in Israel somewhere. Did that in any way change the actual person? You realize if you plug it in, the first guy is a war criminal and the second guy is a war hero. One guy killed three or four people and the other guy saved 30 odd people from getting killed. It's an interesting question yeah, but it's not really it's very obvious the guy is as evil as the guys as evil it didn't even matter what happened. That's not part of the equation actually what happens. It's to do with what he was intending, his intentions. So the idea of good and evil now, you realise we've completely extracted it from the actual behaviour. What happens? So, is, for example, is genocide a good thing? It depends where it's coming from. <laughs> like when Yeshua came into Eretz Israel and was was uh, was commanded by God to wipe out the seven Canaanite nations, that is what we call in in our in our language, genocide. But that wasn't come from a selfish place. So, like, that's actually a good thing. And is is building a hospital a good thing? Again, it depends where it's coming from. Because if this guy's building, if this like billionaire is building a hospital because his other billionaire friend just built like a hospice and he wants to get one up on him. Yeah, he couldn't care less about the hospital. He's just got a few billion dollars knocking around. So he thought he would be able to trump his friend by building a hospital. Yeah, that's not particularly good. We might even call that evil. I mean, it's going to have nice ramifications for people, but it's kind of a bit like that 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 guy driving his car into the suicide bomb. It's not as extreme as that. How about the marble? Oh, good. Okay, so what about the marble? Is the marble good or bad? A natural disaster, a forest fire, good or bad?
1: I think there's both sides, Um, whether it's, like, good or bad. Like, it depends on the angle we want to take on it. Like, for the people who suffer, it's obviously not ideal, so therefore it's not good. But for what it does in terms of regenerating growth for the world, it's not bad. It's, like,
0: a natural cause. So, so. It's your mind that needs to slip it into good or bad. (laughs) Really, it's just what it is. It's not good or bad. It's just what it is. It's a big flood. Now, there's what's called pain and pleasure. For some people, it's going to cause pain. For some people, it's going to cause pleasure. And maybe the people who experience pain later on, they'll experience pleasure and maybe vice versa. But in regards to good or bad, that's a uniquely human Concept that we stick on something. So now I've got a question for everybody. In in the Mishnah in Chazal, they refer. Anyone knows what we refer to predatory animals as? How do you say predatory animal in Hebrew? Not in modern Hebrew. In in classical rabbinic Hebrew, it's called a Chaya ra, Chaya ra. What's the problem with that? Why doesn't that make any sense? An evil animal. Like a tiger is called an evil animal. That's its nature. It's it's just doing what comes natural. So what's the difference between a tiger and a cow? Like you just said, there's. It's just the the ant the, the 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 tiger's programmed to eat meat. The the cow's programmed to eat grass. So why would you call an a tiger raw? What's the connection? Why is it even I mean we feel there's something like it makes sense, but really a tiger's just doing what it was programmed to do. So why would that be called evil? What's the difference in a tiger and a cow? If a cow was programmed to eat meat, it'd also be scary and eat meat. Everyone's with me?
1: Well, it's just from our perspective. It's
0: raw. That's exactly the point that Khazala teaching us when we understand that our definitions of good and evil are selfless and selfish. What's the ultimate act of selfishness? The most selfish thing that one person can do to another. murder well my basically you could that's correct but to say like this I'm gonna take the the most precious thing that you have for my own selfish purposes and the most precious thing that we have is our life so I'm going to kill someone because for whatever personal reason that's the epitome of Ra. So you're right. A, a, a an animal can't be called ra. You can't call it because an animal's an animal's just an animal. It's like a robot. It just does what it's programmed to do. But the very, the very um concept of an animal taking the life of an an- another animal so that it can continue to live, because teaching us what ra actually means. Everyone's with me that's the very definition of Ra that I will take your life so that I can continue to live. So now what's the what's the person who embodies what's the trait that we call this person who embodies the trait of Tov, who's selfless the person who's become selfless in English what would be the what would be the word we would use to describe that person? Righteous. Righteous.
1: Murder. Okay,
0: that's a little bit. The problem with righteous is a bit vague because some people would call the, uh, those, uh, the, the, uh, the Rishoyim who came into as well righteous. What, what, what's a more, a more, a more, uh, what's the word, a more uh, helpful, a more helpful label? A, a martyr? hero? hero. So? It's probably better what
1: a hero or someone said a martyr
0: a hero martyr so it's very simple the the name for a person who's embodied selflessness meaning that he really appreciates that you exist he's called humble or she's called humble that's a humble person a humble person isn't a person who's just very self Yeah, you know, he keeps his head down like this and he goes like this and where well, that's not humble. A humble person means that he really appreciates that you're a real, that you're a matzias, that you're that you exist. In fact, a really humble person feels that you exist more than he exists. Not in like a negative kind of a uh, you know dependent pathetic way, but in a very real way. You're you are more real to him than he is to. So, I will just give you the uh, in the Gemara it describes the the chassid, the tzaddik, and the rasha. It's very interesting because it says that the chassid, the the Russia, it says it says the whole thing in six words. It says (laughs) Russia zarkon, tzaddik kavron, chassid sarfon. It means like this: the Russia throws them on the floor, the tzaddik buries them, and the chassid burns them. What's it talking about? Talking about nails, fingernails. The the Russia throws them on the floor. Everyone knows that fingernails, however, it works out, are not healthy for pregnant women, whatever. So the Russia throws them on the floor. The Tzaddik buries them and the Chosid burns them. How is that teaching us what these three categories are? Because the Russia doesn't care about you, he cares about himself. So he throws them on the floor, and if you tread on them and it causes you a problem, then that's not my problem; that's your problem. The, the The tzaddik cares about you, but he also cares about himself. I'll explain in a minute. So he buries them. The chassid it says that by burning your nails, I don't know what it means exactly, but by burning your nails, it causes you some kind of nezek. It's damaging to you. I don't know if it means because it's like cremation or for the smell or the smoke or whatever. I don't know, but anyway it's damaging for you so by the chassid burning his nails what he's actually demonstrating is that he cares more about potentially harming you than he does about himself that's the embodiment of goodness we call that humble so then obviously what's the opposite he's arrogant so humility and arrogance, they're not like traits like kindness or judgment, ju- judgmental, uh, etc. Humility and arrogance, and Nevis and gyver are foundations of a character. Everything else is built on that. So a, a guy could be kind. But he can be arrogant and kind, meaning he's doing kindness, but it's all about himself. A guy could be do, be kind or a guy could be strict, but he's humble. So his strictness is all about you. It's not about him at all. You with me? So humility and arrogance are the foundations of our characters. Who are the two personalities in the Torah that symbolize humility and arrogance?
1: Moshe,
0: yeah, and his arch enemy primary. This is really the fight of the Jew. Is being freed from arrogance. That's it. Our our whole our whole divine service is so much more simple than we than we originally thought. It's so much more simple for
1: oh, Hashem. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Um a lot of people in this generation are not capable of really understanding this because we're lacking um like knowing our greatness and knowing who we are. Like I feel like that comes before being able to understand this idea.
0: So I I hear um can you say a little bit more what you mean by that knowing our greatness what is Be- that mean?
1: before we don't understand who we are how much power we could have in a very good way we can understand we a lot of people start working on being humble and then they end up becoming uh, like codependent
0: and you know it goes the wrong way so that's not that i i'm see the I, I i hear this a lot my my response is basically um what what is this understanding of who we are what does that mean when when we talk about our power and our our i mean our hashivas, our value what what are we really referring to i'm just i'm proposing maybe it's a phantom maybe it's a phantom that we're chasing after and really what we should be doing is focusing ourselves outward. We're so disconnected from our source that we don't even But what does that that's what does that mean? You're, I agree with you, but what does that mean being disconnected from our source?
1: We don't because Hashem is not so real in our lives. We're just living like such materialistic lives.
0: You're saying you're put, what what does that mean? So now we're we're living on very what, a very surface level. That's what you mean by materialistic. Right. Know, deep. Yeah. hmm So I don't know, help me. <laughs> so so if we're if we're living on an external level, everybody agree that really what you're trying to say is we're all very external. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What's the difference between external and, and internal? A person who's an not an inner a, a a person who is, I don't know the word for it in English, what would you say? If a person's not external he's she is what's the word introverted no 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 not don't no, not like that at all i mean like a guy who's external is showing you know he's got the big watch and he's all you know that's he's an external person yeah and living then for a living for a higher purpose Yeah,
1: spiritual, spiritual
0: yeah. can also be very modest serious. sorry modest modest that's a good, I'll describe it. I don't know the word, but I'll describe the, the difference is a guy or somebody who's living on an external world in, in an external way. Everything is fragmented. All of reality is compartmentalized, fragmented, dislocated, disconnected, unrelated, antagonistic. That's called being in a shell. Yeah, there's you, there's him, there's that. That's If you're living in that, if a person's living in that kind of mentality, when he looks at his avoidance Hashem, yeah, or she looks at her avoidance Hashem, what you end up having is an endless, or or just your life, an endless checklist of stuff you have to do. You have to be a good mother. You have to be a good wife. You have to say to him. you have to say your brochures in the morning. You have to make sure food's ready for your husband. It, if we look at it, if you look at it on a relationship level, yeah, it's a very, very, very helpful way of seeing it. When we look at it as our relationship with our spouse, yeah, I'll say it from my perspective because then it won't be so threatening. So when I look at my, when I'm, when I'm thinking about what it means to be a good husband, yeah, I've got, let's say I've got to take out the trash. Yeah, I have to pay for I have to pay the mortgage. I have to learn with the kids on Shabbos afternoon. I have to put my socks in the, in the wash, my dirty socks in the washing bin. Yeah. I don't like tread on any husband's feet here. I have to wash up my plate once I've eaten. Yeah. Let's say. So that's five different avoiders. That's already, I mean, and we could actually, if we sat there for an hour or two, we could come out with many more than five different things that we have to do to be a good spouse. Yeah. But when you actually change your focus from the idea of being a good spouse to your husband or to your wife you realize that when you're taking out the trash it's not about taking out the trash it's about your wife when you're paying the mortgage it's not about paying a mortgage it's about your wife when you're putting your socks in the dirty laundry basket it's not about socks and dirty laundry basket it's about your wife you with me, that when we go inside into the relationship and realize who it is that we're trying to have a relationship with, as opposed to trying to be a certain person, if we can move our perspective from me to them, everything becomes so easy. Because it's not these endless different things that I have to deal with that's just so draining. How can someone do all this stuff? It's much too much. This is much too much. Whereas when I change my focus, that so it's like, it's not about being a good husband, it's about your wife. It's not about being a good mother, it's about your kids. If you're able to move your focus from me being a good mother to it's just about the kids, then there's only one thing to do now. Well, there's only one thing, there's only one thing and that's the children. Oh, in this situation, then I have to deal with this, and in this situation, then my my children, my need, the need of my child manifests like this. In this situation, the need of my child manifests like this. In this, it's always about my child. That's exactly what we're talking about. When we can move our focus, what Mrs. Silver was just saying before is this idea of building ourselves and going to the you know the psychoanalyst and digging deeper and deeper and deeper into you know what happened when i was five years old and what this and that. i'm not saying there aren't such things at true i'm not saying that at all of sure. but if we can move our perspective from me to hashem or for me to my children or for me to my spouse then life becomes much more much more manageable because we don't end up with this endless this endless checklist of things to do there just becomes one thing to do so that's really the that's really the avoid of becoming humble becoming humble means taking my perspective off of me and shifting my perspective onto others that doesn't mean that i don't take care of myself Obviously, because if I'm not taking care of myself, then how can I serve others? You can't. So you have to make sure you get enough sleep. You have to make sure that you eat the right foods. You have to make sure that you exercise. You have to make sure that you have time for yourself. But it's not about me. If we can change that perspective, that's really the key to the whole game. That's really the key to the whole game. So we've got all these relationships in our life that we can practice on it's about my kids it's not about me it's not about me being a good mother it's about my kids it's got nothing to do with me if we get all these amazing relationships to practice this on and then we plug it into the big relationship which is with Hashem and then everything even our relationships then become a part of our relationship with our creator our Creator wants us to have deep, real relationships with our spouses, with our children, with our with our parents, with our siblings, etc. He wants real relationships, so it all becomes part of Him, and then life becomes incredibly simple. I, I I promise you, it becomes so simple and so pleasurable as well. Not that we're doing it for that reason at all, but that's just the that's like a side point. That's a outgrowth of this moving from and that's that's the that's the movement of from ra to toiv ra you know on 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 on. Uh, we'll finish up now but you know in uh on rosh Hashanah, when we blow the shofar yeah there's one of the notes anyone knows what the teruah the sound of the teruah is it's the one that goes yeah that's from Russian and ra teruah it's from the same words reish iron ra It means broken off. It means separated, dislocated, fragmented in pieces. That's what Ra is. Ra is when you see the world as these disconnected, antagonistic, unrelated pieces. And it's so confusing and overwhelming and just unpleasant. So our Void is moving from Ra to Toiv. Tev is when it all comes together and it's all erchad and life becomes very, very simple. And that's that was that's the mo that's the movement from power to moshe, which is what we call ga'ula, which is what we're experiencing right now, Okay, so we'll hold here. Um Bizatashem next week. Any questions? Thank you so much. Pleasure. No questions? Great.
1: Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you.